I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God.
redemption's hill where your blood was spilled for my ransom and everything I once held dear I count it all as lost lead me to the cross where your love Welcome all, both physically present and on the web, to this gathering in Jesus' name. 
Love, however bright, provides little heat, yet it shines through all seasons and regardless of the prevailing temperature, dispels darkness, while indiscriminately revealing everything that is as it is, both good and bad. Jesus, the light of the world, reveals all, both good and evil, granting us discernment in salvation's grace. As stated in John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, exposes the human condition, man's alienation from God, his father through sin, while revealing our most pressing need, reconciliation with his father, our creator. Now I ask you to come forward, everyone, and pick up the elements so that we may celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ. and fulfill our Lord's command to do this in remembrance of him. This act of remembrance is the symbol of the divine reconciliation given to us by our Lord, Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Those of you at home, if you have the elements of bread and juice of the grape, join us in celebration of he who reconciled mankind with his divine creator. Salvation is given by Jesus Christ as a gift to man. It enhances our ability to differentiate between good and evil, thus enabling us to do good works according to God's will. But all of us often hesitate to act properly for the good, and those that do appear to act for the good all too often to gain social recognition and acclamation. We are enjoined in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, to, and I quote, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Because it is not enough to do good works, for salvation does not come out of doing good works, but by God's grace, we are enjoined to be humble in the good that we do, as written in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Salvation is a gift given to us by the Son of God. It cannot be bartered, bought, earned, or earned, for gifts by their very nature are given freely. Good works that are rooted in salvation should have no more recognition on this earth than the act of breathing, for they are by their nature natural and done for the glory of God, not for social recognition. As we are told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Good works rooted in social recognition are by their very nature done for one's own glory or public approbation and thus garner their own temporary reward for all things of this earth are temporary. By his suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ, God's Son, pro procured for us the gift of salvation. 
in recognition of this gift, we are told to love our enemies. It is from adherence to this command that our good works should begin. As recorded in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. I have a lot of trouble with that myself. All the good works we do cannot instill in us salvation's grace, nor give us the ability to love our enemies as Jesus has commanded. For it is only by salvation's grace that the ability to truly love one another can be brought into existence. For Christ gave of himself, not just for his followers, but for those who oppose him, that they might in turn be saved. Remember, even as we were his enemies, Oops, I lost something here. I, even as we were his enemies, we were helped out of iniquities grasped by him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. As stated in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, by his sacrifice on the cross, he included us with his and our enemies in his love. For as he hung dying on the cross, he asked his heavenly Father, our Creator, to forgive those who abused and murdered him. For what happened to him in the guise of judicial judgment was nothing short of abuse and murder. He foretold that he would undergo that trauma of abuse and death for our sake. As at that last supper with his apostles, he took the bread. Johnny, could you give me a hand with this, please? Bless you. Thank you. As at that last supper with his apostles, he took the bread, lifting it up, he broke it, stating, Take ye this and eat, for this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. We are fortunate, brethren, that while we were yet blindly cavorting in the enemy's camp, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, loved us enough to provide a way that we might be freed from the chaos and chains of sin. He paid for it with his life, death, and resurrection. Therefore, I bid you, as Jesus Christ has decreed, love one another in the manner that he has loved us all. And as always, I pray that our omnipotent and omnipresent God, in Jesus' holy name, through the power of his Holy Spirit, bless you and all whom you love and support and serve. Amen. from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17.
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. May be seated with uh, dismiss our children. Thank you, Tony. Good morning. Thank you. Glad to be back. It's good to see y'all again. Glad y'all all hung around. Danny, thank you for filling in last week. I watched online. Everything went smooth. The stream went great. I'm going to tell you, God has blessed this little body with, with just so much love and talent to do the things that need to be done. I don't need to be here. I like being here, <laughs> so I didn't see a pink slip up here when I got here, so I plan on doing as God has called us to do. You know, I'm just going to share and be honest with you for a minute. You know, this is a, we're going to be going into our 12th year, is that right? 13th? I get it. I lose track. I can't keep up with math, but we're in our 11th year, so we're beginning our 12th year in October really September, but really our first official meeting was in October. And and it's easy <coughs> after 12 years to say, you know, are we done? Is there anything else, you know? I don't see the, the doors busting open. We don't see us into a big building. We don't see all this thing. Now, I'm telling you from a human standpoint how people think, how men think, how pastors think. <laughs> You want to see growth. You want to see things happening. And you question those things. And you have to come before the Lord with those questions. Because if you don't come to the Lord with the questions, then you can begin to doubt. But when you come to Him and you seek Him and you put these thoughts and you put these questions before Him, Lord, what are you doing? What are you going to continue to do? What do you want to continue to do? And then you wait. And sometimes there's a waiting period because you don't get that Here's exactly specific, boom, boom, boom. But one thing that I've learned is, is that when in doubt, don't do anything. Wait. Waiting is part of our walk with the Lord. Waiting is an important part of our walk with the Lord because faith is built many times upon waiting upon the Lord. We, we, we have a vision or we have a thought, we have a, a, a plan, we have things, and then, then all of a sudden... We're just kind of in this dry period. It's like, okay, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? And the Lord says, well, I'm working. Just wait on me. Because what he's doing is always going to be right. What we do is not always going to be right. So we have to wait upon the Lord. And so in that period of waiting, um, we, we just ask and we seek. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe we're done. I believe God still has a plan. He's still doing a work. And what he told us from day one with the leadership of the body of CCRO was that you're going to be growing from the inside out, not necessarily from the outside in. 
And that particular word came back to me again because what that really means is, is that as we dive into God's word and as we study and as we grow, then we're becoming more like Jesus. And the more we are like Jesus, the, the brighter our light will shine in the world. Our ministry is not within the walls. Our ministry is outside of the walls. Now with that understanding, that means that what we do here is prepare for tomorrow morning. Or even lunchtime <laughs> today. <laughs> because God is doing a work in us. And who knows that as you leave this place, he's going to put you right in the path of somebody that he needs you to see, that he needs you to talk to, that he needs you to pray for, that he needs you to encourage with just a kind word or maybe a prayer, whatever it might be. If you're growing closer to Jesus, you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you and you're going to be able to follow suit on what he's calling you to do. And that is the purpose of the church. The gathering is an encouraging time. The gathering is a corporate worship. But you are the church. You house the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you are who he's going to use. And this is why we are who we are. We may not grow to be a big church. We may never be in a big building. And I praise God for whatever he chooses to do, how he chooses to do it, when he chooses to do it. But for today... Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we walk in the Lord. Today is the day of obedience. Today is the day of coming together and learning more about Jesus and preparing as he prepares us for what he's got for us to do. Amen? So we're, gonna, we're on this journey. As long as you guys want to hang in this journey, I'm here. Unless the Lord takes me home, and hallelujah for that too. Whatever he chooses, it's all his. It's not ours. So I wanted to... Put that out before you because we are, we are going to continue on as God calls us to. So, this morning we're starting the book of 1 Corinthians. Now we've been in 1 Corinthians before. It's been about five or six years ago we went through this book. 1 and 2 Corinthians. We're going to follow suit again. We finished up Judges. And what a study that was. That was not an easy study to teach, I'm going to tell you. There were times I said, I definitely want somebody else to speak on this. I'm going to, go to, I'm going to be gone this Sunday. I didn't want to talk about what was coming. But we did. We go through. See, the, the, the one thing that we really believe when you teach the Word is that you go through the entire counsel of God's Word. You don't just talk about the good stuff. You have to cover the bad stuff. And what we learned and what we saw as we went through the book of Judges was the frailty of men. The double-mindedness of man the faithfulness of god his mercy but also his judgment god is a god who takes care of all of it he does not wink at sin but we saw how god's people continued their pattern of falling away then they would cry out to god they would be delivered and then they would go back right back into bondage or right back to the sin that brought them into bondage in the first place. And it was a continual cycle. And it was over and over and over again. And the book ended with this statement. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we covered that in depth as we went through there. This is where the problem lies with all of mankind. 
we all think we know what's best for ourselves. And we'll stand on that. I know what's best for me. I'm going to do this. I know how to fix this problem. I'm going to do that. I know, I know, I know what may be right in my eyes, but we have a sinful nature. And in that sinful nature, our eyes see through the fleshly lens. And if we're seeing what's right in our fleshly eyes, it's never going to align with God's word, with God's plan, and God's will. And therein again lies the problem. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we're all born into that. And we're taught at a very early age how to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it. If you don't like it, cry about it, whine about it, moan about it, and then fight about it. Whatever you got to do to get what you want. That's the goal of life. You deserve it. Get what you deserve. Listen, if we got what we deserve, we would be burning in hell in eternity because we're born into sin. But God in his mercy, poured out upon that cross, his son, shed his blood, died for us, rose again, ascended to be with the Father in obedience to the Father's will so that we can be redeemed back to the Father. Now Israel, while God's chosen people, they had the law and God himself led them and we saw all the miracles and the, the wonderful things that happened as they traveled on their journey and the demonstration of his power. But they fell short in their humility and obedience. And humility and obedience is a demand. It's a command of God. You cannot come to the Father in pride. You cannot be redeemed in pride. You have to come in humility and you have to come in obedience. Now today... We, the church, under the new covenant, we no longer have the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't eliminate it. He fulfilled it. And now we're in this new covenant, in this relationship with Him. We no longer have the law. We're now filled with the Holy Spirit. We're led by Him. But we still have this sinful nature. And as long as we live in this earthly tent, that nature is going to be there. We're to die to it daily. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does taking up your cross mean? It means dying to your sinful nature daily, moment by moment. If it meant you could do and snap your finger and it was over with, then we could be with Jesus right now. But that's not what happens. You go to bed and you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, they say many times. Ornery. I mean, I've never experienced that, but I know other people do ornery and they're in their flesh and they don't want to walk in the spirit they want to walk in what they want we have this nature so we like israel tend to do what is right in our own eyes god's church his bride who is supposed to be without spot or wrinkle often finds herself weak and in trouble because we take our eyes off of jesus and soon we try to operate the church through worldly wisdom. It becomes about growth. It becomes about business. 
It becomes about uh, submitting to the, uh, to the people and the will of man rather than the leading of the Holy Spirit and rather than preaching the full uh, counsel of God's word. And we become nothing more than a social club calling ourselves a church, but leaving Jesus out of it and leaving his word out of it. The culture walks in the front door and the church becomes carnal and corrupt. And this is where the church is today here in the United States. But as we'll see in our study in Corinthians, this struggle in the church is not new. It's not new. The early church was struggling right off the bat. And as we go through this study, we're going to see how easy it is to focus on the wrong things and how easy it is to miss the mark. And in all of our studies, as we've done so far, we're going to show a parallel between the church of Corinth and the church of today. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and our title this morning is Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. Father, we ask that you open, your, open our ears to your word, open our hearts to understand. Speak to us this morning, Lord, in a fresh and new way by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. May we understand what you're telling the church today. And may, not, may we not just understand it, but may we submit to it and obey your will as this church grows forward in these dark times that we live in. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's begin. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you, came, you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's stop there for a moment. It's quite an introduction Paul brings forth here. First, he introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Very important that we recognize what Paul is saying here. Paul knew who he was. Paul knew his calling. He knew that calling came from God himself. As we all know, he was zealous for the law, blameless in the law. He spoke that in uh, Philippians. He, he said, if I had room to boast, I can boast on all of these things. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a, a zealous for the law, blameless, all of these things he had. He said, but when he met Jesus, he counted all that as rubbish. Didn't mean anything anymore. Who he was, his bloodline, his heritage. All of those things, he looked at and said, that's not important anymore. What is important? Jesus is important. And he met Jesus. 
while he was on his way to Damascus to destroy the church in Damascus. He met Jesus. And this meeting was life-changing, as it should be for all believers. <laughs> and this is why it's important that we recognize that coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ does not end with a prayer. It begins with a prayer. But the prayer is just the introduction to Jesus as a confession. Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have no hope within myself to be a good person, to be a godly person. Even if I do good things, they mean nothing because I am tainted and I'm a sinner. I need you to redeem me, forgive me of my sin. These are the, this is the prayer, and, and it's a good prayer. And you can categorize it in certain ways and organize it in a certain way and, and then have everybody pray it in a certain way. But here's the problem, is that if that's all there is, and it's not life-changing, then it's just words spoken in air. To believe demands action. To believe and say you believe, there should be fruit. There should be change, Jesus said. You'll know them by their fruit. So, as we come into the relationship, it should be life-changing. Now, Paul, uh, regarding his, right, his relationship with Jesus Christ, he was chosen to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and there was no turning back. Now, his heart was still for his fellow Jews. He wanted them to be saved. That's why he kept going to the synagogue. In every town he went to, where did he go first? To the Jewish synagogue. And he would reason with them. And many times he was run out almost on a rail. Sometimes he was able to convince, and some were saved, but others would not. But they would, they would debate, and they would argue. But then he knew that his call was to plant churches in these cities and in these towns and the Gentiles where they lived. That was his calling. He was, a, he was a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, there were many they didn't recognize or accept his apostleship as legitimate. And he'd struggle with that. There were many times you could read it in his writing. He defended his apostleship more than one time because people were saying, well, you're not really an apostle. You're not really this. You're not really that. But Paul said it didn't matter what people thought about him. Paul didn't care about your opinion. He knew who he was in Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, it's him and him alone that matters regarding your calling. Paul understood that. And today, we have those that certify or ordain men because of their education or their learning. But I'm going to tell you, God doesn't look at any of that. And the way some seminaries are going today, he doesn't even want to look at it. They spend more time reading occult stuff than they do reading the gospel of Jesus Christ and learning to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not all of them, but there are some that focus on the wrong thing. And they go out, learn how to build a church, how to plant a church. First, you go and take a survey of the community. You get your demographics down. you got to put the church in the right location where the people have the right money so that when the right people come with the right money, your church will grow to be a big church and you're successful. 
bogus credentials. That's not what building the church is all about. Building the church is building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Teaching his word, the full counsel of his word. Building upon that. That's what building the church is all about. It's not about knowing all these things. It's not learning how to manipulate the crowd. It's not learning how to entertain the crowd. It's not learning to water the word down so you can keep the crowd. But that's what's happening in a lot of places today. See, God calls according to the heart. He's always done that. That's what he told Samuel. He allowed Saul to be king because the people demanded it. But he told him, he said, listen, he's not rejecting. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. So do what they want. But tell them what they're going to get. They got exactly what they said they were going to get. A bad king. But then God said, now I'm going to raise up another king. Go to the house of Jesse. And here they come, one son after the other, marching down the Rhine. Oh, this is, oh, look at him. He looks good. He's tall. He's strong. He's handsome. Nope, not the one I've chosen. And he said, listen, Samuel, you're looking at the outward appearance of man. But I look at the heart. And so this is how it is with God. He looks at the heart. He raises up those who he raises up for, for his glory and for his purpose and his benefit. And as we'll get into the study in 1 Corinthians here, we'll see he doesn't call the wise of the world. He doesn't call the pretty people. That's why you got me. He calls those who he chooses to call for his purpose. And I can still look in the mirror and scratch my head and say, Lord, what were you thinking? But the truth is, is I know who I am in Christ. As Paul did. He called me to pastor the church. I'm going to be obedient. I'm not worthy. I'm not qualified. But it's not me. It's not about me. It's about him in me. Jesus Christ in me. The hope of glory. He calls according to the heart. And it's his ordination that matters. Now Paul also introduces Sosthenes, who was possibly and probably the one who scribed the letter. You know, many times Paul did write, he did write in a couple of times, wrote, wrote this with my own hand. But a lot of times he had someone write things down as he dictated them to them. So that's probably who Sosthenes was. Now it's also possibly or even probably the same Sosthenes that was mentioned back in the book of Acts in chapter 18. In verses 12 through 17, we read this. When Galileo was, uh, Galileo was uh, the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be no reason why I would bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look, at, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge in such matters. He drove them away from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So it's very likely that this is the same Sosthenes. He was beaten by the Jewish men there, or the Greeks, I'm sorry, the Greeks, Greeks beat him. But it appears that he's now a believer, and he's a companion with Paul. 
And Paul encourages the church here to be faithful in the relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to go back and look at that in verses 5 through 9. First, he says that you're enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Now, this is important for us to understand. We are enriched in all things. We're enriched in the areas that he's talking about here. We're enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. In other words, our speech should be in line with the word. Our knowledge should be of understanding of what God's word is. And we are enriched in that. It doesn't say we're enriched and benefited financially. It doesn't say we're enriched in, in all the prosperity of the world. It says we're enriched by everything in him, utterance and all knowledge. See, God gives us what we need. His word, his spirit, his counsel gives you everything you need. You're already enriched. And it's important for you to understand this because many times you don't feel like you know enough. You don't feel like you've studied enough. And you can get in conversations with people and you think, man, they know so much more of the Word than I do. I've had conversations with people. They can quote whole passage of Scripture, but they don't know Jesus. It's not about just reading words. It's about the understanding and the wisdom that comes from that. You have all you need. You're enriched in these things. You don't need anything else. Now, you may desire more, and that's good. We should always desire more. Don't get stale and don't get complacent in what you know. But I will tell you, as many pastors have said it before me, and I've learned it to be true, the more I study and the more I know, the more I know I don't know. It's just, just the way it is. We think we know more than we know. But that's not always true. And then uh, it goes on in verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. See, here's the thing. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the main thing. Jesus himself, the testimony of who he is, what he's done, and what he's done in you is the main thing. And that is what we need to keep in, in, our, in our focus and in our hearts. It's confirmed in us. How is it confirmed? Well, it goes beyond the prayer. After you pray and receive, the confirmation comes with submission and obedience. The confirmation comes with a changed life. And that's what he's talking about here. You are, the the, the, the uh, testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. And it goes on so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as a believer, you have all you need when you need it. You won't be short of any gift. He will give you the gift you need when you need it. Now, you may never get a certain gift, but that doesn't mean you're short of what you're supposed to have because every person is called in accordance to the Spirit of God to do what God's called him to do. He will equip him or her to do those things. You will not be short in anything. Now, you may feel that you don't have enough of this and you don't know enough of that, but those are the feelings we can't trust. We're walking in faith, not in sight. We're walking in relationship, not in religion. And so it comes from Him, and all of these things are confirmed in us. We are not lacking anything. And at the same time, we're eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ for His return. Now, there's a difference between hiding in your closet and saying, please come quickly. 
then living your life in obedience and submission to the word of God and to call upon his life and eagerly awaiting. It could be today. We are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. And the darker the world gets, his light is going to break through. And at some point, it's going to be the line is already, the line's already drawn. The Father's already drawn that line. He knows when he's going to say, it's time, son, go get them. And that's going to happen. And we eagerly await those. We don't eagerly await, though, by fear of what's going on around us. That's not eagerly awaiting. That's just, oh, Lord, deliver me quick. I don't want to go through it. Listen, persecution is on the horizon for the body of Christ. We need to be prepared for that. We don't need to be praying, take me away from the persecution. We need to be praying, use me until and through and all the things that are going on around us until your return. And I eagerly await that return. And it goes on, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he's the one that confirms you. He's confirmed in you his testimony, but he confirms you because of your obedience. You are confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ because you're walking in relationship with him, allowing him to live through you, dying to yourself, letting the spirit of God rule and reign in your life. God is faithful by whom you're called on the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful, and that's something that we can hang on to. Even in our moments of faithlessness, He is always faithful. We can hang on to that. We can hang on to that. So after Paul reminds them of these foundational truths in Jesus, Paul now begins to address some issues of dissension in the body. Verses 10 through 17. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am a Paul. Or, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, and besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. See, Paul kept it simple. The gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Keep it simple. You get beyond that, you get to the wisdom of words, you start then defining things you don't understand. You start talking about things that you don't really know. You start building on foundations that aren't the gospel. And the next thing you know, you got all this stuff that people are divided over because you believe you've heard from God on something that he didn't necessarily give you. We get what we need. We don't always get everything we want. And that includes knowledge. 
So here we get the first glimpse of disunity in the body. And Paul first tells them, he said, they should speak all the same thing with no divisions among them. Now it's important to clarify what Paul is saying and what he's not saying here. First, what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that now we're all robots and all have to agree on every single point of doctrine. It's not what Paul is saying. We don't always have to agree on every point. See, our finite minds want to understand and we want to explain everything that we read and that we study, but the truth is that we can't. We desire to, but if we let that desire cross into pride, then we think we can demand an answer from God, and if He doesn't get it to us, then we try to come up with our own. And that's where division starts. The Spirit of God reveals to us what we need to know and when we need to know it. But often in our pride, we go beyond what we know and focus on what we think we know. And this is where dissension begins. It was a movie we watched a while back. It wasn't, wasn't a Christian movie. It was really kind of a sad story. I don't know if it was based on truth or not. But in this town, there was this mean, mean man. I mean, to everybody. He abused people, he stole, he beat people up. He was just a bad guy. And at some point, he wound up killing the preacher of the town because the preacher tried to rebuke him. He murdered him. And so the whole town had finally had enough. They, they had went to court. They tried him that way. He always got through a loophole. He got off and he went right back to being ornery mean and went after anybody that went after him. So the whole town lined up one day, armed themselves, and they all shot him. All of them. So he was dead. And they, nobody would investigate it because the sheriff was involved in it too. So they send this outside investigator to come in. This investigator comes in and he starts asking all these questions. And, and the sheriff said, well, there's what you know and there's what you think you know. And that's really where we're at as believers today. There's what we know, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. His word is truth. We know that's truth. But then there's the things that we don't know that we tend to focus on. And the things that we don't know are what brings division. And we have to come to this point and say, listen, we need to be focusing on the right thing. Let me tell you, it's okay to have discussion over different points uh, a view over certain things, but it should never lead you to division. Conversation, iron sharpens iron. It's how we learn. I'm going to be honest with you, on our Tuesday study, sometimes we get into some deep things. And as we get into those deep things, it causes me to dive into the Word because somebody or some, something will come out and say, what? Let me look on that. And we I'll study deeper. They'll study deeper. We may still not come to an absolute answer of, of, of complete unity on that point. But we still believe in Jesus Christ. We still believe that he is the son of God. We still believe in the gospel and, and what it represents. And we can shake hands and walk away, friends. Come back the next week, discuss something else. But we may not still agree on certain points. It's okay to have these discussions. Just do not let them lead you to division. Search the scriptures. Seek wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And walk in humility regarding these things of difference. Not in pride. 
Because again, there's things you know, and there's things you think you know. Now what Paul is saying here is that we should all be in unity regarding our testimony of Jesus Christ. That is the same in each and every one of us. The testimony of who Jesus is. The Word speaks it very clearly. We can read all the, uh, every aspect of who Jesus is, where He came from, how He was born. He came from heaven, came as a man, born of a virgin birth, raised a sinless life, which had to have been tough on His brothers. That Jesus. Why can't you be more like your brother? I bet Mary told him that a couple of times. That'd be a hard one to live up to, wouldn't it? Jesus, clean your room. Were you raised in a barn? Come on, these are good ones, guys. That's all I got, all right? But the thing is, is that if we, diff, if we break away from what we know about what Jesus has done in us, He saved me from sin. He's delivered me from the law of sin and death. He's delivered you from the law of sin and death. Do we agree on that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is doing the work. That's what we're supposed to be in unity about. Not about whether we speak in tongues, not about whether we don't, not about whether we believe in this baptism or whether you have to sprinkle or bit dunk. You know, I'd rather go and get dunk, get it all washed, not have any spots missed. That's why I like dunking versus sprinkling. And the word baptized does really mean submerge. You're standing in the shower, you might miss a spot, especially if it's a slow drip. I like a lot of pressure. But it's not about those things. It's about Jesus himself. It's about our relationship with him, our testimony. That's what we're to be in unity with one another. And that's what we should be standing upon when we're in the world. See, when we take these divisions of points and of, of difference away from gatherings and we go into the world and the world sees the bickering and they see the arguing over things that they don't really care about, and it's not life-changing to them because they've never met Jesus Christ, then what happens? They look at the church and they say, well, why should I even bother? They're in worse shape than I am at my house. They argue more than me and my wife do. I don't want any part of that. And so, therefore, this is what Paul is saying. Focus on the main thing. Jesus Christ, his testimony in you, that's what we're supposed to be focusing on, and that's what we're supposed to be in unity with. It's Christ. It's all about Him. He is who we know. He is what we know. And there's no other gospel. No other gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, when he was writing to the church of Galatia, he had a, he had a real problem there, too. The, there were some Jews coming in telling the, the Christian Gentiles, hey, you're not really saved unless you get circumcised. And they were trying to bring the legalism back into the church. And so he had to write to them. And that was not the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 6 uh, of Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
hard words. It goes on, as we've said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you received, let him be accursed. Now this is two times in a row. He's not joking around here. Don't pervert the gospel with legalism. Don't pervert it with knowledge of things you don't really know. Don't pervert it with divisiveness. Focus on the gospel. He says in verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. A man can get up and talk about the things of God. And he can talk with eloquent words. And very powerful, persuasive speech. Paul said, I didn't come with any of that. I didn't come to do any of that. I came simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life-changing. Eternal. That's what it's all about. But when people come in and pervert it with something else, it brings division. And that's not what the church is supposed to be. The old Calvary saying that I've heard for many, many years is keep the main thing the main thing. Keep Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the main thing. It's not about a man or men as we see as it's happening in the church of Corinth here. They're focused on Paul or Apollos or Peter. Paul says it's not about us. And he's going to get into this again later on in this book. But right now he's addressing an issue. It's not about us. We're just servants. We're just vessels. When a man comes to the point to where he believes he's something special, he's nothing. He's nothing. We are all special in the sense that the Father sent his son to die for us. That's how much how special we are to him as a whole. But when a person believes that he's special and he's called and he's got the gift and he's got the calling and now he's going to take it on the road. And I'm going to sell it. Take it on the road and sell it. How many times have we seen the gifts of God abused by traveling prophets who sell them? benefit and then the mansions they live in garbage it's not biblical what it, I believe it was a uh, believe it was Paul that, and, and and one of his companions it may have been Peter I can't remember exactly but he's they were walking along and the man was begging said silver or gold I do not have but stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ he didn't offer money he didn't ask for money he said, ain't what this is about. And then you had Simon, the one who was trying to buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And boy, he got rebuked, didn't he? And what did he say? Oh, pray that these things won't happen to me. I don't even know if he repented necessarily. 
He just didn't want to have all those curses coming upon him because he tried to buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about any of that. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's not about men. We can focus on the wrong thing. When you focus on man and his personality and his ability to speak and his ability to entertain, his, he's going to mess you up because at some point he's either going to fall and everything you built upon him falls with it, which means you are now wounded and hurt because you put your focus on the wrong place. Or he's going to say something at some point that's going to make you mad. And as soon as that happens, you're going to leave too. Because, well, he's no longer in the place of where I placed him. He doesn't agree with me. He thinks something different than me. I'm not going to have any of that. That's pride. And that's what gets people in trouble. Each person called by God will have a different personality, different giftings. But the minute we focus on those things, how he does things or what he does, we're already in trouble. It's not about that. And today, many people in the church follow a man instead of Jesus and his word. And they're setting themselves up for trouble. I would venture to say that much, not all, but much of the church here in the United States, they don't spend a lot of time reading and studying God's word. They depend on somebody to feed it to them with a spoon. And a lot of times what they're getting is not the full counsel of God's word. And they don't even know it. Because they don't feel responsible for themselves. They want somebody else to be to take the heat. That's the way Israel was. Listen, we don't like God speaking to us. That scares us. We'll die. Moses, you go. You go and let him talk to you. Then you come back and tell us what he said. It's a little easier to justify your sin and rationalize yourself before a man than it is to stand in the holy presence of God. And this is what happens when you focus on men and not focusing on God. The thing is, is that a lot of times people can't, in reality, they can't confirm or deny what they're being taught, whether or not it aligns with God's word or not, because they're not studying it for themselves. And I encourage everyone to dive into the word. Study it. Digest it. Meditate upon it. The Holy Spirit is in you. Just as he's in me. Just as he's in all believers. He will confirm in you truth. Now, you may still get off track. We all do. You may still go down this rabbit trail. But when it comes down to it, he, if you're listening, will confirm in you what you're supposed to be focusing on and it will pull you away from those things that are distractions that cause division. And then we can all love one another. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It really is simple. We're the ones that mess it up. We complicate things. I like this guy, or, or I like that guy. Again, he stumbles or says something you don't like, then we're gone. And many times, a lot of people build their foundation on that person. If that person does fall, they leave the church because that's all they knew. Can't be real. My idol fell. Think about it. Paul is saying, get away from all the loud chatter among the body and get back to the simplicity 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should all be in unity regarding who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. His resurrection and what he did for us and is doing for us in this personal relationship. That is the main thing. This is the unity that we're all called to. And today in our culture, the church culture, and I've seen it happen right here in Cartersville. I've tried to bond with some people, and they've tried to bond with us. We've, we've had connections in the community, trying to get involved in different ministries. But what I found out was is they kept crying out, we all need to be in unity. We all need to be in unity, unity. And really what they were saying was, y'all need to all do it our way. This is the only way that works. You've got to do it this way, or it isn't going to work. And those are the words they used. And, of course, there's no unity there. But they're demanding unity. Where's their humility? To come together and seek the Lord as a whole and listen to the Holy Spirit and not say, this is how mom and daddy did it. This is how the church has always done it. This is the background that I've seen work, so therefore, this is it. And there's one guy here in town, all he wants to do is live in, in the past. He wants to live in his ancestry, who his great uncle somewhere was a famous preacher. And when he walked down the streets, bars shut down. Wonderful, hallelujah, love to see it today. But it's not happening today. Not that same way. And are we going to live in that and bring that to the table over and over and over and rehash why we're not getting anywhere because we're not doing it the right way? Or are we going to get on our knees and say, God, show us the way. And show us the way in unity, focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what true unity is, and that's what we're called to do. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming to the likeness of men, in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. Now, this is Jesus we're talking about here. He humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to who? To the Father. To the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God is highly has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This should be the attitude of all believers. This should be the focus. Not looking at ourselves, not puffing ourselves up, not studying for knowledge's sake, 
There's many who study just to get knowledge. Knowledge is good, but knowledge without wisdom means nothing. It's just heavy. It's just you can tell about everything. You got an opinion on everything. You know about everything. But does that really bring anybody closer to Jesus because of all the stuff you've studied and known? No. It's about the relationship with Jesus. It's about walking it out. It's not focusing on any of those things. It's not focusing on understandings or differences. But really, it's focusing on what? Two things. The first greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving our neighbors as ourselves. When you're focusing on the right thing and keeping the main thing the main thing, you're learning to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you're not focusing on the right things, you're focusing on yourself and what you think you know about all the things. And therefore, you got it backwards. You can't love your neighbor without loving God first. I think you alluded to that in your, in your introduction this morning. You can't. You can do good things. That's not loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is not just feeding them and clothing them. That's not just loving them. That's a part of being obedient to what God calls us to do. But it doesn't get you closer to God. The more you give, the more you pour in, the more you clothe people, the more you feed people, that's not getting you closer to God. What gets you closer to God is on your knees and in your, t- in your prayer closet, praying, seeking, reading, studying, devouring the word, meditating. This is what gets you closer to God. And as you're closer to him and focusing on him, he then gives you love for your neighbor. Then you go in obedience to him to do these good things, not doing them to gain favor. Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's everything. <laughs> everything. And anything other than this will cause division and dissension among believers. And in some cases, they may not be believers at all. They may be plants to cause division and dissension. We need to pray for wisdom about that too. So I'm going to present the challenge to you this morning. If you're drawn to a teacher... Or a preacher. Don't look at their style. Don't look at their abilities. Don't look at the worship music or style. Or the music, yes, because if it's not focused on Jesus, then it's off base. But don't look at the style. Don't look at, at how it's presented, how loud it is, lights and show and smoke and all that stuff. Don't look at all that stuff. You don't look at how well someone is an orator, how they can speak and and put it all together well, or how they can entertain you. Those should not ever be what we focus on. Those are things that men have. They have certain talents and giftings, and there are some that are better at it than others. But I promise you, the ones that have all of the things going for them in the fleshly side, and all of those giftings, If their heart is not right with God, they will mislead you. They will lead you astray, and there will be dissension because that's not at all what it's supposed to be about. Make sure you're studying God's Word yourself and know if what they teach is all about Jesus first and alignment with His Word. And if it's not, now again, there still may be some differences. Somebody, myself included, 
I mean, you know, Norman, if it's okay, I want to share Norman and I's relationship in the very beginning. Norman came from a, a, a background of legalism. It wasn't a good thing. He knew it wasn't a good thing. They got out of that. He called, and we spent about an hour on the phone, and he was asking me all kinds of questions. And we got off the phone, and I looked at my wife and said, he ain't coming. <laughs> they won't come. Two weeks later, they showed up and hadn't left. But there have been times where we had to talk because of teachings that he's had and teachings that I've had. And we've had to talk. I've had this conversation with more than just normal. Just people, they say, listen, I, I'm struggling with it. I don't necessarily, you know, hey, listen, let's talk it out. Now, we still may not agree on every point. But because I love Norman and Norman loves me and we both love Jesus first, we can serve together and be in relationship together and do what God's called us to do. And eventually he'll come around. <laughs> just kidding, Norman. I love you, Norman, and I appreciate all those because, it's again, I, I, I knew I could do that with Norman because he and I are close enough to do that. But, but it's with all of you here. We may not agree on every point, but if Jesus is the main thing, we can serve together, we can love together, we can minister together, and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do. And sometimes we may get shocked and say, well, I didn't see that coming. That didn't, in my, that's not in my comfort zone, is it? That's okay. Not about being comfortable, it's about being obedient. Making sure that we keep the testimony of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing. That's what we're supposed to do. And by doing that, God is going to do a work in this community like we've never seen. He already is. Now there's some bad stuff happening. There's a lot of stuff going on in the community. There's still woke stuff, people trying to get on school boards. There's still things happening in, in government that we, we're praying against. We really would love to see uh, our government local officials saved, our city council here in town, um, and the mayor. <laughs> Pray for them. But at the same time, we see God moving in miraculous ways, and there are things that are happening. But we need to be praying for our leaders, praying for our community, but we need to be in unity with the gospel of Jesus Christ with one another so that when I'm walking down the street with you or you're walking down the street with me, we're not fighting so that the, anybody who sees this is not going to be turned off by that and say, I don't need part of that. Or standing on this side of the street preaching one thing, standing on the other side of the pre street preaching something else. No, why don't we come together and preach together? As long as we're preaching Jesus. Because that's what's going to change a life. You can go out there and you can condemn somebody and beat them up. That's not going to change your life. They're not happy with themselves already. But if you go out in the unity and the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus is your answer. Well, you don't know what my problem is. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're in a fleshly sense. You're in a fleshly nature. We've all got fleshly problems. Jesus is the answer. That's the unity that we need to be putting out when we're going out in the, into, the, into the community and living our lives for Jesus. So I encourage you, don't look at the man. Don't look at the, at the people. Look at Jesus. Look at the word. Understand that he's going to grow you into something tremendous. He's already grown you into something good. He's taking that and building upon that and growing you more and more in him. And you're strong. 
You're a lot stronger sometimes than you think you are. I want to encourage you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to come live in you, then obviously He thinks He can do something in you. It's not about you. (laughs) And you don't tell Him what you want Him to do in you. That doesn't usually go so well. Trust Him. Walk it out. Put Him first and the gospel first. All else falls into place. Keep the main thing the main thing. Father, we come and we ask, Lord, that you help us to understand these simple truths. This is a, as we get into this study in Corinthians, we see that <laughs> this is the early church, Lord. This is, this is some of the first plants that Paul went out there and planted, and he's already getting these bad reports about people getting off base and off track. It's because we all mess everything up. <laughs> Every good thing from God gets tainted when man gets involved in it if he doesn't keep it focused on you. So I pray, God, that that here at Calvary Chapel River Oaks and that other churches around us here, all that are teaching the word, that we would keep focused. And I pray that those who are not teaching the word would repent and turn back to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Yes, their bodies may go down in, in size, but they would be so much more effective because the Holy Spirit of God would be moving and directing that church, whoever and wherever they are. May your people, Lord, come to you with the washing of the water of the word. This is what you said, Lord. Jesus, uh, uh, Paul said this when he was talking about marriage. And he said, husbands who love their wives as, as Christ loved the church. And how they love the church? First, he died for her. And then he pours over her, washing her with the word. It doesn't say washing with an experience. It doesn't say washing with an activity. Or washing with doing this or doing that. It says he's washing the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, with the washing of the water of the word, which cleanses her and brings her without spot or without wrinkle. So what that tells us, it's the word of God that keeps us straight. We all want to experience God. We all want to be in your presence and, and know more about you and have more of the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. But if we don't have the foundation of truth through the Word of God watching over us, then it becomes all about the experience and all about the wonderful things of this and that and the other and the miracles. And the next thing you know, we're trying to duplicate and replicate, but there's nothing of foundation in those things. It's all you. Without you, those things mean nothing. Satan himself can replicate and has mimicked and replicate things of God. The word says that Satan can appear as an angel of light. So we have to be wise. And our wisdom is grounded in our relationship with Jesus. And our relationship with your word. And the power of the Holy Spirit confirming that in us. Teach us, O oh God, to keep the main thing the main thing. And we love you and we praise you. And we thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. And amen. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. As a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived 
in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will see of the goodness of God.